You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Picker, your host, and with me today is Professor Michelle Goodwin. She is the visiting professor of law at the University of Chicago, the Everett Fraser Professor of Law at the University of Minnesota, with joint appointment in the Medical School and School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. She is also author in 2006 of a book entitled Black Markets, The Supply and Demand of Body Parts. Thank you very much, Professor, for joining us. It's my pleasure to be with you. To begin with, how is the medical community to respond to the present state of transplant surgery in the United States in the sense that the list now includes over 100,000 people waiting for transplant, 50% of them will die before they receive it, five-year waiting list, and probably 18 people dying every day waiting for their kidneys, and also the unusual, disproportionate amount of Afro-Americans that make up over 40% of this list. You know, I'm so happy to be with you on the show to discuss this because it really is that devastating. And the public knows it and feels it because at this point, people, they have either a member of their family, someone who's at work, a friend who've all suffered or they know someone who has suffered because of how our transplant system operates here in the United States. I think it's really quite devastating for doctors, certainly, as as you would know. But what could be more hurtful and devastating than to see people die from conditions that are actually treatable? So these conditions are treatable with transplants, and yet we know that the transplant system, which is run by the United Network for Organ Sharing here, has policies in the federal government has established policies that really confine and restrict the possibility of of infusing new life into our transplant system. In 1984, the federal government passed the National Organ Transplant Act. Prior to that time, the federal government had, had basically left these issues for states to deal with. But in 1984, in responding to one rogue doctor who had actually lost his license to practice, Dr. Jacobs, suddenly we have federal legislation that not only restricts there being any possibility of there being any kind of financial exchanges, but they bring in language that's so incredibly broad as to include this term valuable consideration. And under valuable consideration, basically anything goes. So it means that the only people who can donate organs in the United States have to do it with just plain, pure altruism And in some ways, you might have to imagine these people as being incredibly well-off because it's a very difficult situation to imagine poor people as donors. And I'll tell you why, and the listeners why. Recovery time is necessary, several weeks. You have to hope that your employer will actually keep your job available. There's no guarantee that your employer will actually pay your salary during that time that you're off from work. The federal government prohibits the person who's now received your organ from giving you anything to cover your rent, your mortgage, your light bill, your gas bill, and we know how high gas bills are now, telephone bill, any of those things. And and let us not even imagine that these people might have children. And the children need just basic things, such as lunch money, right? None of that can be provided by the person who's now been restored to life by you. So we have a system that in many ways is destined to get worse. I mean, not just fail, 
but actually get worse because as more people come onto the list, we've not actually changed any kind of policies to allow others to give organs and make the list actually begin to flow better, as you mentioned. You know, you mentioned that you cannot receive anything of value, and it's recently as last year, I believe, the Norwood Act was passed, making at least that you can match your kidney with somebody else. Well, what happened with that? We're still actually waiting for it to be enacted. It was drafted, and it was going through both the House and Senate quite positively. The federal government's accounting office discovered that it would save the federal government hundreds of millions of dollars because the federal government subsidizes dialysis, and if we were to move people from dialysis, which can cost up to nearly $100,000 a year, certainly $90,000 a year, federal government would save money, move people off of dialysis, which they'll need until they die, and give them a transplant, and they don't need any more dialysis, right? So we knew it would save money, but again, it's been stalled. And this is what becomes so incredibly frustrating. What I've been advocating for in the last year is that the federal government simply allows states to waive out of the National Organ Transplant Act. Currently, the federal government allows such activities at the state level. So we've seen this with the No Child Left Behind Act, that states can actually petition to be removed from certain from, from the requirements of certain provisions of the Act, or even something that more people are familiar with, social security, uh, welfare. As states went through welfare reform, those states that figured that they had the best model already in action, they could petition, and they still can, the Secretary of Health and Human Services so that they can be exempt uh, from the federal regulations that monitor and control welfare. And I say, well, why not? think creatively. Since it seems that the federal government is is somewhat stuck right now on this issue and legislators are are a bit nervous about touching this issue, it appears, then why not allow states to be the laboratories of democracy and come up with the solutions on their own and test those solutions against their community? And I think that we'd achieve a lot. It promotes democracy from the ground up. States are able to work with the people who are in that given state who will let their legislators know what it is that they're willing to tolerate. So to the extent that there are those that say, well, consideration is bad, it exploits the poor, we'll have way too many people of color lining up to to donate to get this money. And I note an irony there. I mean, somehow it seems that we have no problem with black people, Latinos, and others giving organs for free. Why is it that we have a problem if they donate an organ and somehow a part of their life is restored. I think that's a great hypocrisy in the system. And I think that we can basically treat and deal with some of those issues if we actually move these issues to the state level because people can be involved at the grassroots level and to whatever extent something is proposed that is contrary to what a community is willing to tolerate. Then the community can deal with it at the state level rather than having to deal with politicians in Washington, D.C. that they actually never really see back at home. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Professor Michelle Goodwin, visiting professor of law at the University of Chicago and the Everett Fraser Professor of Law at the University of Minnesota. And today we're discussing what's to be done about the increasing list and weight on our transplant programs. People are dying 
and we haven't come up with a workable solution. You know, you bring up this interesting point about resolving things at the state level, but I think you'll hear the voices that are heard on a national level also at a state level, that this is akin to slavery, that we are taking advantage of the disadvantaged, although I have found no evidence that this is the case. But won't the same issues that we hear in the national forum also exist locally? That's absolutely an excellent and timely question, and I'm suspicious that we won't. I Now, now let me clarify a bit. Certainly it's possible, and given that people are sort of movable, we've seen how people can lobby across states, you know, how someone can start off in California with an issue and suddenly it's an issue in, in Michigan and everywhere else as people move around. But I think that this is an issue that's so deeply personal and that affects so many people at the ground level that I think at the state level there will be more pressure to actually move forward with an incentive-based package than not. And I hope, I expect, I could be wrong, but I would hope and expect that actually some of the people leading the way might in fact be people from minority groups. I would certainly hope so. Here's one of the things that I think. I think that minority people who are on the list, African Americans, as you say, make up nearly 40% of the list, I think they can advocate for themselves far more effectively at the state level, at the very local level, as a real building kind of process. This is a matter of life and death for those people in their communities. And unfortunately, the rhetoric about slavery has really gone too far with this. You know, Art Kaplan and others over time have mentioned that this is just like slavery. And I think that probably with the best intentions. But one thing that I would note from those early pundits who said that, you know, this is just like slavery, interestingly enough, Maury, none of those people actually bothered to conduct any kind of empirical studies in African-American communities to ask African-Americans, do you think this is like slavery? In 2003, I did exactly that. I worked with local community groups, churches, etc. I wanted to reach as many African-Americans as possible in a survey, both a quantitative survey and then we followed up with a qualitative survey to get their opinion. I mean, do you think that incentives are just like slavery? Would you be more inclined to donate if your pastor, rabbi, priest, what have you, that this is a good thing to do. We wanted to get real data. And what was very interesting is that none of these folks who had previously come out and said, you know, look, this exploits black people, it's coercive, it, you know, it's going to transfer them back to slavery, none of them had bothered to actually talk to these people, actually ask them. And what I found overwhelmingly is that black people, they laughed at that question. No, this is not just like slavery. No, it didn't mean that they were all in uniform, universal agreement that incentives are the best way to go, although quite a percentage of them actually were supportive. But they did see this as a very different issue than slavery. The other concern that people had in the survey is that they wanted to see more African Americans receive transplants. In part, there were people who were skeptical of the current transplant system and cynical about how we allocate because they see so many black people on dialysis but not necessarily receiving transplants. So I think there's an issue of credibility here that's uh, far more important than the issue of slavery, and I think in part that can be resolved by African Americans actually feeling as if their voices matter, as if their local legislators at the local level are listening to them. I think they'd feel that the system is far more credible if their governor listened to them and that they were part of 
developing a kind of organ transplant revolution, if you will, that resolved these issues in a way that was meaningful for them. It seems that your suggestion is to stop thinking so paternalistically and begin to think about social justice and that there may be really an issue of social justice, which you go into great detail in your book. Again, I'd like to thank you for joining us. It's been very informative. We've been discussing with Professor Michelle Goodwin the new solutions that must come up to resolve this life-threatening problem of being on a transplant list way too long and not having any hope for the future. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.